kids-first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Jerry Orris, and before we start off the show, I just want to wish everybody a very, very good week. I hope everyone is staying safe having fun inside there's a lot of great movies to watch we're going to talk about some amazing movies today but first our first segment is going to be with a very very special guest glenn entis he is former ceo of dreamworks interactive he was co-founder of pacific data images and he was svp of electronic arts glenn first i want to talk about the very beginning yeah. pacific image data pacific data image sorry about that that's okay so could you talk a little bit about how you got started there and uh what made you want to get into that because it is a very niche field at the time when you started yeah it was very early um i in college i well when i went to college i didn't know if i was going to be a fine arts student or a physics student mm -hmm. i always loved math was very good in math but i also loved art i ended up being a fine arts and philosophy student graduated in 1976 all my interest in college was on art and technology and the, the, and, and the impact technology was having on art. And I thought, I want to get a job in computer graphics and realized maybe I should have studied computer programming in college because that was the only way you could do it then. So I went to graduate school, moved to New York City, went to graduate school in computer science, got a job on Wall Street as a programmer just to learn programming and started applying to everybody who was doing computer graphics at the time, which wasn't very many people. There was just a few studios doing very, very small jobs. And they all turned me down. The ones, the ones who bothered to respond to me turned me down. Then the others didn't even respond to me. And, and at some point I realized um, I had gotten a job out in California to work for Hewlett Packard as a software engineer, but I realized if I ever really want to do computer animation, maybe I have to start my own studio. So I met two other friends, um, Carl Rosendahl and Richard Chung, and together we started PDI. And that's actually turned out to be a really great way to get a job in the field that you want if it's early, is just go out and start the company. And we had to learn a lot of stuff on the, by the seat of our pants. But I will say, and this is, this is one of the lessons that has not, it's, it's, this lesson has never gotten old for me, because I look back and I was lucky that I was so passionately in love with computer graphics and computer animation. I don't know why. I, I can make guesses, but the fact is I was just wired that way. And I realized at some point that I would be happier. I wouldn't be happy if I didn't give it a shot. I never actually thought I would succeed. There was just too many odds against us. But I realized if I didn't give it my best shot, I would die feeling unfulfilled. And... I'm glad it worked out, but I think it's a good rule of thumb, which is if you find something where you say, I would rather fail at doing this than succeed at anything else, because if I never give this a try, I'll feel like I haven't used my time on earth well, you've probably found your calling. And for me, I was lucky. I, I, that was my calling. I wouldn't have been happy doing anything else. I think that's such a good message to our audience. Make sure you follow your passion above everything else. And Glenn, at the early days of PDI, if you read biographies and descriptions, it says you guys were doing everything, including mopping the floors. Yeah. So uh, what was that early life like? Because you just said, passionate about computer animation, computer technology, 
but you also had to balance it because it was a business. It had to make profits. It had to work with other businesses and manage everything like a normal business. So how did you balance those two fields? Well, one thing is you don't want to be too good at mopping the floors because then you'll end up being the the go-to guy on that. So you don't you want to be just okay at that. But you really have to. Um, I mean, what it was a huge learning experience for me to be in a company where number one, I really cared about the company as well as what I was doing. It was that was going to be in a lot of ways we were putting everything we had into that. I mean, financially, emotionally, time we put everything we had into that company. Um, but it was also the big education for me was learning how to be responsible for a company. I mean, nobody teaches you that. You don't get experience of that growing up. And I found myself, especially as we started hiring people, I found myself having to take responsibility for helping other people get the work done. As we started to grow other people's careers, had to be responsible for whether or not I thought myself as a manager, which sort of seemed at the time very pretentious and growing up. It's just like, no, we're like, we're just doing computer graphics here. We're animators. But yet people, we were hiring people. We had to negotiate salaries. We had to think about people's career, start to think about their career paths and giving them promotions and all that stuff we had to kind of learn on our own and grow into. And for me, I never would have guessed that it was a nat- would have been a natural transition. And to say it's natural, I mean, there's always problems. There's always things you have to deal with as you change. And it was hard in a way for me to spend less time doing the thing I really loved, which was making images move on the screen and, and writing software to make those images move. I loved programming um, to more of a management role. But I found it was actually a pretty easy transition in some ways. I cared about the company. I really cared about the people. I like working with people. And, um, and at some point, as the company grew and we needed somebody to be the chief operating officer, that role naturally fell to me because I was the one who was paying most attention to operations anyway. Looking back, I never would have guessed that would have been a role that would have fit me. It's just not, nothing in my early youth... So I think my big takeaway from that, again, is, you know, if the, first, if the first lesson is follow your passion, the second lesson is recognize you may not actually know what that passion is, or you may have other things that you will end up being passionate about that you'll only discover by doing. And one thing I would say to your audience is it's great to follow your passion, but you don't always know what that passion is. So just don't wait for your passion. Go out and do stuff. Do stuff that you find gives you energy, is fun, is making a contribution. Do, follow your passion if you have it. And if you don't have a passion, don't worry about it. Just go out and just start adding fuel into that fire and you will find things that you're good at. You'll find things that you enjoy doing. And sometimes passion grows. And my passions have changed. My core passion for computer animation has never gone away. But how it's manifested itself and the kinds of things I've done have been very, very different over my career. And that's Actually, one of the things I like about my career is the variety. You make some great points for our audience. I think those are some really excellent morals that you live by. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Right now, we have a very special guest. He is Glenn Entis. He is former CEO of DreamWorks Interactive. He was co-founder of Pacific Data Images, and he was SVP of Electronic Arts. And after PDI, yeah. you went bigger and bigger and bigger from DreamWorks Interactive or your former CEO yeah. to EA. So how did your day-to-day life change as you went from PDI, which was an operation you started yourself, yeah. to these large corporations full of people <laughs> that yeah. were there way before you and way after yeah. you? 
And, you know, there's always the good story and the real story. I mean, the good story was it was great. When I got the call to see if I was interested in being the CEO for DreamWorks Interactive, and it was a cold call, I told my wife, it's like I, it's not, another one of those things where you say, if I don't do this, I'll go to my deathbed feeling like I didn't take advantage of the opportunity that had been given me. <clears throat> my first face-to-face -face interview was with Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg and some other DreamWorks execs, and it was really amazing to be kind of put into that world. Um, I felt, turns out I felt very comfortable with them. They obviously felt comfortable with me. They hired me for the job. So it was a wonderful opportunity. It was a big transition, but it is really different. At PDI, I knew that company better than anyone. I had the moral authority to, to speak for the company. Um, and it was a field that I had grown up with, computer animation. Video games is close to computer animation, but it's different. So I was a relative really a relative newcomer in a field and suddenly leading a very high profile studio with you know with with bosses who expected the absolute best so it was it was a fun transition but it was also a very tough transition and i'm glad i stayed with it i think there were days i had my doubts but it was um, um it was it was a great experience but the chance to work with someone like steven spielberg on video games the chance to work with the kind of talent we were able to attract to, to that kind of studio, to have the opportunities to get, whether it was licenses or voice talent, or we had a great composer, Michael Giacchino, on some of his first work that he did for entertainment. Um, you know, All of that, because of where we were positioned in the circle of people we were in, was an amazing opportunity. Really, really so happy I was able to do that. In the future, what projects are you working on in the future that you can talk about now? Well, something I'm very excited about, I don't think I can give all the details about it, but I've, um, I've done a lot of things in my career. I've never been a curator of a major museum show, which is what I'm doing now. I'm a co-curator on a show that is going to be very technological in its, in its focus, but it is going to be a major museum show. Um, there's a lot that I'm going to learn in that. Fortunately, I am the co-curator, which is different than my curating partner, who was the lead curator. So... So that person's got the heavy, they're, they're doing the heavy lifting of actually all the logistics and putting the show together. Uh, but this is relatively new for me. It is a blast. It is, uh, I'm mostly retired now. So I do, I've always worked for fun, but now I can afford to work only for fun. It doesn't really have to be, um, museums usually don't have stock options, you know, and, 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 and big compensation plans. That's, that's okay. I'm doing it just for the sheer joy of it it's going to be it's involving artificial intelligence and, and visual culture um and i think it'll be um, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun sadly that is all the time we have today thank you so much for talking to me about your career and your experience before we go i have one more question you talked a lot a lot about lessons for kids yeah. who are watching do you have any other tips for people who want to get into this industry or get into the computer science industry like you yeah. did my you know i aside from being clear yourself of what you're really interested in, or if you aren't clear, just going out and trying stuff. The other thing I always, um, the advice I'll always give to anybody starting out is figure out ways where you can be unreasonably well prepared for the things you want to do and the people you want to talk to. Um, you know, Jerry, you're a good example of this. You clearly do your homework for this. Um, and, and that is actually is a really good example for what I'm talking about, is that if you're going to, it doesn't even have to be a job interview, if you're going to talk to somebody who's in a field, 
not only do your homework on them, what they've done, what their background is, the kinds of questions you can ask that person, but figure where does that person get their information? Get a sense of what the conversation is in the field that you're interested in. The more you feel like I'm putting an unreasonable amount of time into this, the better you're doing. Because what you want to do is not only be prepared and have a good personal Geiger counter of where the interesting stuff is, but you also want, if you're making contacts with people, you want them to come away impressed and say, I didn't have to go over any of the remedial stuff with this person. This person's doing that on their own. They're actually asking me great questions. This person is already off the starting block. Um, that is really important. And you'll be amazed at how many doors it will open with people who feel like if you're willing to do that much of the work on your own, I'm definitely willing to put some energy and help you get to the next step. That is such a good point. That is such a good moral. I hope our audience has taken notes. Thank you, Glenn, so much for My talking pleasure. to me Thank about you. your career, about your life, and about those amazing lessons. For our audience, Kids First has so many amazing interviews with amazing people just like Glenn, so be sure to check it out and also to check out his past work as well as his upcoming exciting work. Stay tuned for that. Thank you so much to Glenn Antis for talking to us today. Let's take a quick break. I'm your host, Jerry Ors from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This week's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus Dino Tales. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Now, the film we're going to be talking about now is called The Vast of Night. It's an incredible Amazon film, but before this starts, I just want to tell a very quick story. This is t- uh, telling a story about a town that encounters a very weird frequency, and we're going to talk about the film. There's actually a real-life story that's probably false, but it's kind of cool, about a, t- a couple Italian radio engineers who encountered an interesting frequency that showed mysterious cosmonauts doing mysterious things in space which is really cool. I can't wait to see a whole bunch of films about this, but this one looks cool, so we're going to be talking with Callista about it. Callista, I just kind of gave a good introduction about what this is about, but what do you think about it? What do you think about the story, the acting, the film overall? Well, if I'm going to be honest, I really didn't like this film that much. I do think it has an interesting setup, but I feel like the way this film like went about it was really poor. That's so disappointing to hear because the story just sounded so cool. I really wanted it to be good. But let's talk about what doesn't work. In your opinion, since you said something about how they did it doesn't work, can you talk a little bit more in details about what was wrong with the story? What prevented it from being good? I think the main thing that prevents this film from being good is the pacing. I think the pacing of this of this film is really bad and it honestly kills a lot of the investment for me like there's specific scenes that go on just for eternity i literally i counted and there's like a one scene that went on for like 10 minutes and it did not need to go on for 10 minutes and it just felt like it was showing off more than actually telling a story in what way do you think it was showing off was it showing off in the visuals and just the intensity you know could you be a little bit more specific about how it was showing off well in uh, most of the scenes that were unnecessarily long, it was in like one, the entire sh- like scene was in one shot. Like there were no cuts for like ten minutes, and it really did feel like it was only doing that to show off and not actually to be like an engaging film. And I I guess it was impressive that the uh the actors forced to like do for like ten minutes and they couldn't stop it at all. So I guess it's impressive on their end, but not in terms of the story. That is so disappointing. I'm just going to go on the production side of things for a second, but doing those wonders where it's like 10 minutes, one shot, it is almost impossible for basically everyone in the production line. For visual effects, for the camera operators, for the director of photography, everyone suffers when you have to do a shot like that. So the fact that they did that shot and it still didn't work is really, really saddening. And I feel so bad for the production team on that. But on the other parts of production, go ahead. It gets worse when, uh, because I only mentioned one specific scene that's really bad at it. There are like at least four other scenes like that. Oh my god, I feel so bad for the production team. That's terrible. When you look at a film like 1917 that did it great, they really, really just worked day and night to get that thing to even work. So they probably had to do similar work here, and that's just so sad. But on the on the other side of the production, there are a lot of amazing actors in this project. So how were the performances in the film? I will admit, I do actually think... I, I do think that the actors did a really good job. They're probably the saving grace of this film, aside from the concept. Um, Sierra McCormick, who plays Faye, who's the character who has that 10-minute scene that I mentioned earlier, um, I feel really bad for her, but at the same time, I think this is very impressive, and I think that, like, 
she seemed to be really giving it her all this whole film, which probably was not, not easy. No, it probably was not easy. And you're absolutely right. It is so, so challenging for actors, no matter the quality of the script or anything, just being able to keep in character for that long without breaking even a tad, that's really hard. So kudos for them for being able to uh, get that together and be able to do that in front of the camera. Now, mm-hmm. it, it is a period piece. It is set in the twilight of the 1950s. I love that description. It is beautiful. On one fateful night in New Mexico. Okay, I'm done. So <laughs> how was production designed? Because, of course, 1950s looks very different from the 2020s. Uh, this also particularly disappointed me because I really like the 50s aesthetic, but aside from like the old technology, this film doesn't really feel like it's in the 50s. Aside from a few moments where it kind of does feel like it's in the 50s, like with specific, like where you can tell that like the aesthetic is supposed to be like from the 50s. But a lot of the scenes, but because there's so many scenes where it's just like one location for like, 10 minutes but it feels like forever you don't really get the feel of it being like 1950s unfortunately i'm gonna mention now this is an independent film in fact it was nominated for the independent spirit awards for best screenplay which i actually cover the red carpet of so definitely check out my coverage of the independent spirit awards but that probably does mean they had a lot of restrictions restrictions and sadly it shows up the most in fantasy and sci-fi and in period pieces when you have very little money. So it's sad to hear that it did occur in this film. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Right now we are talking about The Vast of Night with Callista, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is also a very good film. But I'd also like to talk a little bit about the audio design. We don't talk about audio here on Kids First. We should talk about it more. But Mm -hmm. because this is all about radio frequencies, Audio design really matters. So can you talk a little bit about how they use just pure audio to basically run the entire story? Well, I feel like the audio, in terms of, like, making it seem like a realistic, uh, like, radio signal, I do think it does work. It's, um, like, that particularly didn't really, um, I didn't really notice it that much. So I guess you could take it as it being, like, good enough to the point where I didn't really have anything and like much to say on it because it was fine but I mean I guess yes since this is like a story about radio you would kind of expect more that's definitely true you know they definitely had something they could have really used to their advantage in the editing process because when you have an entire film that revolves around one certain audio sound one frequency that's going to become really useful when you need to add some flavor in the background. So it's too bad that they were not able to really use that to its advantage. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the dialogue because this is a very, I guess I could say non-action oriented movie because it's all about a radio frequency. There's not much fighting going on there. Do you think that the dialogue was able to keep the story going in a natural way? We talked about pacing issues. Would you say the dialogue suffered from that as well? I would definitely say the dialogue suffered because there's a lot of moments where um, there's a lot of moments where it just feels like the same scene is going like this, like the reason the scene was like 10 minutes, the specific scene I talked about earlier, the reason it went on for so long was because uh, the character Faye was asking like several people the same question 
but the answer for each of them was like exactly the same so it's just like there's no reason to go to each of these people and like ask them the same thing if they're all going to say the exact same thing it literally just felt like they were just repeating the same interaction over and over again and that's like the worst example of it because i know there's another scene where a woman's like telling a story and it takes her several minutes to actually get to the story because she tells like two other stories i guess to like set it up it's just it feels like it goes on for forever like it's stretched out too much that definitely sounds a little bit stretched out and that's so so sad to hear but it still seems like a very solid film in many ways but overall how many stars would you give it and why I would give it two out of five stars, mostly just because I feel like it could have been a lot better than it was. Like, the film actually isn't that long, but it just feels like it goes on for an eternity, and it just, it's very hard to sit through, unfortunately. You know, based off what you said about it and just the story, it seems like this would have made a really, really good independent short film, like maybe 30, 45 minutes long, even instead of a feature. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been much better as a short film, I feel. But, sadly, it is a feature film. But for those who want to watch it, it is available on Amazon Prime starting uh, May 15th. Excuse me. So, Calista, one more question before we go to break. What age range would you give this film? Because it is a little bit of a complicated subject for younger audiences. I would uh, give this film an age rating of 12 to 15. Thank you so much. For our viewers, check it out if you're interested, but let's take a break. I'm your host, Jerry Orris from Los Angeles, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. This today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus Dino Tales. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm Calista Best from Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about the vast of night, and next we will be talking with Ethan about Doozers We Dig Spring. How are you doing, Ethan? I'm good. How are you? I'm also doing good. So, uh, to start off, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Doozers We Dig Spring? So, it's about um, these four little green kind of animals. I mean, they're not really animals. They're kind of like humans, but not humans. It's just like these little three feet things. And uh, there's four of them, and each one has their own ability, and they kind of work together as a team to learn new things, and um, they all work as a team. It's kind of like, they're, it's just, like, without the team, they'd still do good, but, like, they're better with their team. Like, the whole show is just them and their team, so it's kind of like showing, t- like, kids' teamwork. I see. So, um, what would you... What do you think about the characters in this show? Um, I think it's really cute how they are because, like, you would expect, like, a bunch of construction workers to be, like, adults, but they're, like, kids. And I think that's better because the more, like, if they're kids, I think the little kids would enjoy it because they're not, like, full-grown adults talking into it. Because then their voice would be, like, all deep and scary. So I think Uh the kids like this better. Yeah, I have uh, heard that you know, kids find it easier to get invested in a story if, um, the ch- if like, a child is the protagonist, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, so I can definitely see where you're coming from there. And do you have a favorite character? Um, no, because they're all, like, kind of the same. I mean, they're not all the same. It's just, like, they're all... I, like, like them all the same, kind of, because they're all funny, they're all nice... I see. Are there any, like, other characters in the show that you particularly like? Um, I like this. He's kind of like, uh, he's kind of like a librarian scientist guy. Like, he knows a lot of science. And when the team needs help, they go to him, and he knows everything. Like, he knows everything about bees when he was teaching them, and butterflies. And he helped them a lot, so I like him a lot. Alright, I see. Um, how was the acting in the show? Um, I mean, it's not really acting, it's like an animated, uh, like, it's kind of like an animated six-episode kind of show. But, well, they're, um... They're it, still acting in it, like, voice yeah. acting, I mean. I think the acting, like, the voice acting, uh, fits each character perfectly. Were there any particular standouts? Um, like, do you mean, like, celebrities, or... Well, I mean, sort of, like, was there any, um... Was there any performance that you found, like, I guess you, I guess you, you would say better than the rest, but I don't really feel like that's what I mean. Um, I don't think so. I think it was just all distributed equally. I see. What would you say is your favorite episode of this series? I think it was the O Beehive, because that was definitely, like, the I've, I've, I watched all six, and I think out of that one... They had the most teamwork. Like, that that one was really cool. I liked how they stuck as a team, like, the whole time. I see. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we are talking about the vast of night and Ruth and Amelia, Co- Coco Wanda Bay. And right now, I'm talking to Ethan about Doozers We Dig Spring. 
So what would you say was your favorite scene in this series? Not necessarily in like your fa- in the episode you mentioned before, but I mean just a particular scene that you really liked. I think how actually I mean I don't really have a favorite scene. I think everything was just good how it was. Like I don't really have a favorite scene. I see. What would you say about the visuals of the show since you uh, since it does appear to be animated? I think it was really good. Um, <laughs> if I was to rate it, I'd give it like a nine or yeah, like a nine out of ten because it was really good, and I think it'd be really nice for kids. I see. How's like the um? I guess you would say art. Like how? What? How was the uh, art direction of the show? Like, do you think it stands out compared to other children's shows? yeah because in this one like you'd expect like a nose to be like how we have it but they have little like you know the uh the candy dots yeah that's what their nose looked like and i thought that was really cute and i like Um, how they made the character like you like if you were watching a show it'd be like something like probably a human or something just animated or like little monsters but this one was like like kind of like a little mini green (laughs) like i don't know like it just looked like a human, but not really. Just green, tiny, like a little. It would look. It it look, It was like a little, uh, like Lego kind of. It was just really tiny. Do they ever like describe like what these characters are supposed to be, or is it just like I guess left up to interpretation? I think it's just. <laughs> I think it's just left up because it doesn't really like. Cause there's no like um sequel or anything. Like there's no. Like, they, all the episodes are different, so none of them really, like, explain. Uh, like, you mentioned there, there was, like, another character in this show. Like, is he something you can easily define, or is just everyone in this show, like, just, like, a strange in- interpretive creature? Uh, he was also strange. He was, like, uh, he, 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 was, he didn't look kind of like them. He looked different, but, like, he didn't have the construction hat. And he didn't. He had like a different kind of nose, and he had like a he had a weird head, and yeah, they're just all like crazy. So basically, what you're saying is just that like none of these creatures like can be described. Uh no, they can't. Uh. <laughs> so how was the music in this series? I think I love the theme song. That was just one of my favorite things in oh. it. It was just the theme oh, really? song. It was so catchy. Oh, like, um, can you describe why? Because, like, it's one of those things where, like, you just, like, you know when you're like, okay, I'm just going to do this one time and I'm done, and then, like, an hour later you're still doing it and saying the same thing in your head? It kind of just makes you want to listen to it. Like, I can listen to that for an hour straight and not get bored. All right. And final question uh, what would you give? What would you give the series in terms of a star rating and age rating? I give it five out of five stars and recommend it ages four to eighteen, and adults can enjoy this with their kids too. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me about this series. Thank you for having me. Let's take a break. I'm Calista Best from Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus Dino Tales.
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Calista Best from Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to Kids First. We've been talking about the vast of night and doozers we dig spring, and next we will be talking about Ruth and Amelia, Coco Wanda Bay, with Jude Adler. All right. So, hello. Welcome to the show, Jude. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So, can you explain to us what this is? Um, so, Ruth and Amelia Cocoana Bay uh, is about an adventurous team of Cocoana Bay. Uh, it, and it is formed when a planet, um, uh, a planet uh, called Gupta sends an alien named Yu Yu. UUR to Earth to save Kokoana Bay, and this alien teams up with Amelia, and the team explores different ways to help the Earth and how to save Kokoana Bay. Well, that sounds absolutely insane, but I am a fan of insane stories. I'm a fan of insane stories, so this is a CD, so this is like, this is technically an album, or is it like, how would you describe it? Well, it isn't uh, that large. Um, it's, I believe, like uh, it's like divided into six parts, and each and each segment is about three minutes. So yeah, you could call it an album, but yes, there is definitely music because this. It, I'm not sure if I should call it a musical, but it's it's all singing. Ah, I see. And how is the music in this? I almost called it a movie. <laughs> how is the music in this CD? Oh, it, it's fantastic. Amelia Lopez-Yanez and Ruth Webner's voices are amazing. Um, and it just makes you want to listen to the CD for hours, even though it's only like 45 minutes in total. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can appreciate when something, even if it's as ridiculous as this sounds, can tell a story through music. How would you say this? cd like fairs in terms of like being a musical um i thought it was great because i think it's kind of hard to pull off something like this with no pictures because children find it a lot easier to 
um, understand something with pictures. Um, but I think that they did a really good job, but I thought that it moved a little too fast and a lot of the story kind of became a blur because it just moved really, really fast and they, and the singing was fast. So it was kind of hard to understand all of it at the end of the day. Uh, that, that's kind of a shame. Could you go into a little bit more detail as to like how this story kind of loses its tracks? Well, I think that the that, that that the beginning starts strong and like you're really happy in the beginning, but then the music starts to pick up and as much as I love the rhyming and the lyrics, I start to lose track of where the characters are in the story and and where the plot goes and it was really hard for me to understand the final conclusion of the CD. Oh, that's a shame. I know how that feels. Not necessarily with like musicals and stuff like that just but with like other products that i like Mm -hmm. um yeah that's a shame um especially considering like musicals i feel like people don't really appreciate how hard it is to do like a musical like i know many people are like oh well like it doesn't make sense as to why they're singing but like being able to tell a story through song is very impressive Mm -hmm. You're listening to Kit's First Coming Attractions. Today we are talking about the vast of nine doozers we dig spring. And right now I'm talking to Jude about Ruth and Amelia, Coco Wanda Bay. So what would you say is your favorite, I guess I guess you would say song, but given how you described it as being like in six parts, um, what would you say is your favorite part of this CD? Um, I would have to pick the part Going Green. Um, it's basically about uh, Amelia learning different ways to help the earth and they do a lot of kind acts around the bay and they try to make it as healthy as it can be. Oh, I see. So would you so like is this CD specifically like um, like an environmental CD or is that just like one aspect of it? Like I think story, it's, I, mean. I think it's more of an aspect because I don't think that, Every part of it, um, I don't think every part of it is focused on helping nature, but I think it adds a really nice aspect to it because it makes these characters come off as really kind. And I think that's great because it teaches kids um, really good morals and how to be good people. Um, But yeah, I would just say it's an aspect. I see. And that is important to be able to like teach children to, you know, appreciate the earth and stuff. But um, if that isn't, like, the main moral, what would you say really is, like, the major, like, theme of this whole CD? I would say friendship, because um, these characters uh, these characters meet, meet each other really out of nowhere, and they bond really quickly, and they all have fun, like, snorkeling, planting flowers, and, and they really... Even even as as a CD, it gets you really emotionally attached to each and one of these characters, and you and you don't want to stop listening to them at the end of the day. That's really good. Yeah, like I know, um, I know how it feels because I feel like, in terms of being able to tell stories and get people invested, I feel like people kind of underestimate, like specifically music, like not not even just like with musicals. Like I know of like other, I can think of other like uh cds like that i'm a fan of that are able to like tell an interesting story like this Mm -hmm. and i think i think um that is something to be appreciated with this cd is being able to tell a story even if it does kind of lose itself at the end yeah 
which yeah that's that sounds like a shame again mm-hmm. yeah it's a bummer to see like a cd of a really great potential and then just get mixed up and confusing by the middle and end of it yeah i mean to be fair though the story did like when you described it the story did sound very crazy <laughs> yeah it does but uh yeah i can agree with you there <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm 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 a fan of insane stories, but I understand that that is a thing that can happen with stuff like that. It's just mm-hmm. going off the rail. But yeah, I think it's kind of smart because I think what I think that this CD is intended towards younger audiences, and I think if if like a kid sees this in the store or online, of of course that he would want to see an alien from a planet Gupta team up with a girl and help save the planet. Yeah, definitely. So, for the final question, uh, what would you give this... I almost said movie again. What would you give this CD in terms of star rating and age rating? Um, I would give the CD four out of five stars because the lyrics and vocals are amazing, but yet it moves a little too fast and it can come off confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend this, um, uh, this CD for kids ages five to eight because... Um, it's great and appropriate for all audiences, but yet you have to think that will your child understand the CD overall? So I think that you have to be like around five to eight to understand the whole thing. I get that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about this CD, Jude. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, m- music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, KidsWorld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Gigantosaurus Dino Tales. I'm Calista Best from Los Angeles, California. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye! Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off-camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and tune in again next week.